I'd like for you to turn to the book of James tonight. We'll be doing something just a little different this evening in the service, and uh, certainly not what I planned, but as we sought the Lord, as I looked to the Lord for what he had, the more impressed I was to share this with you. <clears throat> I'm, I'm only going to be a part of the service tonight. The outcome of the service, it's on you. This is prayer meeting. Prayer meeting has almost become a thing of the past for a lot of churches. Uh, they, and I'm not just up here to get on a soapbox and beat a drum, try to call your attention to things that are quite obvious to you. But uh, how sad that it is that people no longer understand the power that we have in prayer. Prayer makes the difference. We're ending a year, getting ready to start a new year, and uh, we have so much, so much to pray about. And I think the reason that a lot of people don't really like to hear things about prayer, focus more on prayer, it's uh, probably not their fault. If I prayed as weak as they prayed and as little as they prayed and saw as little happen, as what happens when they pray, I probably wouldn't pray a lot either. But when you begin to understand the force that we have and what that prayer does when we seek God and the power that we access through God in prayer, it will change your outlook on prayer forever. I'm going to give you just maybe six or seven basic Bible principles about prayer. And then tonight, this is prayer meeting, so we're going to put it in action. I really even thought at one point about at some point killing the live stream just because I don't want to, should something be said publicly. I think that's, I thank God for live stream. I, I appreciate so much. You have no idea the church family we have all across this country that is tuned in right now that they consider this now their home church and uh, we appreciate them. But there's some things as well that I'll say this, we never say it to embarrass others and that's not our goal and that's certainly not our intention but I think sometimes we need to learn how to pray specifically for individuals and individual needs. And that's not something that is just thrown out lightly. Uh, do you know the prayer chain is not a gossip line? And uh, the, the prayer chain is a call for help. And uh, it is not a guilt release. Some people feel like, uh, you, you know, I should be doing doing certain things for the Lord and I'm not doing certain things, but what I'll do, I'll call on the church to pray and I'll sound spiritual and look spiritual. It's kind of like cussing like a sailor and drinking and carrying on and then put a nice little post on Facebook. You feel good about yourself, you know. But that doesn't change who you are or what you're doing or what you should be doing. You've heard me say this for years now and I'll stand by it. It doesn't take a lot to be successful in the Christian life. It really doesn't. 
years ago, I started promoting from this pulpit what you already knew and already believed, but we just put it in a simple form. If you want to be successful in the Christian life, really there's just three basic things you need to do. You need to read your Bible every day. And you need to pray every day. And you need to attend church. And when you stop reading your Bible every day and praying every day and you don't attend church faithfully, you'll suffer spiritually. You'll get weak. You'll start to grow weak. So I'm looking at one aspect of that and that is prayer. How do I get my prayer answered? How do I know that I'm praying the right way? It's not the right words, it's the right motive that God's concerned with. How do I know what God requires of me when I pray, when I seek the Lord? What is the best way to approach God about certain needs in my life or the life, uh, lives of people that I love? Well, James chapter one, he's talking about a need for wisdom. Now the need could be anything, but in this particular chapter, He's dealing with wisdom and we all need wisdom at times. There are certain times that we just don't know what to do. We need help that we don't seem to have that ability within ourselves. But I think God always knows the right way and knows the right steps and can help us and even help us accomplish things that we couldn't do by ourselves and give us wisdom. But that wisdom, again, it always begins with the Lord because the beginning of all wisdom is the Lord. And we can have all types of knowledge, but if we don't know the Lord, we don't have any wisdom. So we need wisdom. So here James says that there's a real trial in the individual's life at times that we need wisdom. So he says in verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. Now this next verse tells us some components of prayer, basic things that we need to know. It says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. You have the first three basic Bible principles in chapter, in verse six in chapter one. First of all, you've got to ask. You must ask to receive. I'm not saying that everything that, that we ask for we get, but it's certain we're not going to get it if we don't ask for it. If we don't ask the Lord, then we're not going to have our prayers answered. It all starts by verbally calling out to God, seeking God, meditating on God, sharing our heart, our spirit in tune with God and asking God. Always through the Bible, petitions is a main component of prayer. So you have to ask. The reason that you don't receive is you don't ask. Now this hits home to me because, you know, every preacher's got their thing that bugs them. And one of the thing that, things that bug me as I travel in a lot of churches and preach, it's not uncommon that uh, they, they, they almost feel as though they sin if they don't ask for prayer request. And I'm certainly not opposed to getting prayer request. But in a lot of churches I go into, after they take the prayer request, then they call everybody in to pray. And this is not an exaggeration. There's churches that I go to that it's 15 and 20 minutes of prayer request and they don't pray for 30 seconds. So 
Prayer is not telling everybody else what I need. Prayer is asking God to meet the need. So it's great that they shared the need with everybody else, but if we don't ask God to meet the need, how can we ever see anything accomplished? So he said, first, you've got to ask, let him ask. And when you ask, he gives the second principle. You have to ask in faith. If you ask and don't believe that God can do it, then your prayer's in vain. You've wasted words. If you don't really believe God is who he says that he is and can do what he says that he can do, if you just take God at face value, what he says in his word and understand that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we have to base our prayers in faith. When we come, if we ask over and over again, the key to that is not only asking, but believing. If we don't have faith that God can do it, you say, I don't have that much faith. It doesn't take a lot of faith because it doesn't rely on you. You may be thinking of your way of meeting a prayer need in somebody's life, but when it comes to God, God can do anything. So when we ask, we can believe God has the ability and power to do it all. So when we ask, we've got to ask, and we've got to ask in faith. And not only do we ask, and do we not only ask in faith, but we cannot waver. You have to ask, you have to ask in faith, and you have to be determined not to waver. If you get up this morning and say, God, I'm bringing this need to you, I'm praying about this need, I know that you can do it, I stand on the authority of your word, and then you get ready to go to bed at night, and you say, I knew you wouldn't do it, God. I mean, sometimes we put God on our timetable and sometimes we put God on our demand list, but it's not about us. It's about what God can do and when he does it for the greatest glory and honor of it all. So you have to say, I am determined. I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to stop believing. I'm not going to waver. To waver simply means to withdraw or to stagger. There's people that said, I have faith in God. I've asked God, but now they're not in church anywhere tonight because when God didn't answer the prayer as quickly as they thought and the answer didn't come the way they thought, they started to withdraw. Withdraw from God, withdraw from others, and now they're prayers are not answered, but when you, when you pray, you have to say, I believe God can, I believe God will, not by my power, not by my might, but by his spirit, and he's not restrained in any way, he can do anything, and I believe him for it. We have to ask. We have to ask in faith. You must not waver. Four, you must ask in Jesus' name. I hear a lot of times people don't, don't mean to say anything wrong and it's not that they're necessarily doing something evil. I don't want you to get that idea. But I'll hear them pray and they'll close their prayer and they'll ask in the name of the Lord. Well, he is the Lord. But you just pray to the Lord in the name of the Lord. And you forget the principle that God taught. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. And I'm not teaching this, Jesus is teaching this. He said, what happens when we pray? We have no authority and we have no right to approach a holy God. God is holy, that's a word you don't hear much anymore. People don't preach on it, talk about it. They don't like to hear the word holiness. And, but God is holy, there's no sin in him. He's perfect and we are not. 
So what do we have that would merit the right for us to come to God and say, Lord, do this for me? The truth of the matter is, there is no holiness in ourselves. We come to the Lord unrighteous, sinful. The holiness that we have is only imparted through Jesus Christ. There is no holiness without Jesus because there is no forgiveness without Jesus. So when we come, we say we have no authority of our own, but there is someone that has the authority to move heaven and earth, that has all power in heaven and earth, and his name is Jesus. And that's why he taught over and over again, when you pray, be sure to pray in Jesus' name. John 14 and verse 13 says, whatsoever you ask in my name, Jesus said that, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, 23, and in that day, you shall ask nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. To you. The truth of the matter is, if you ask and receive it, you're going to have to ask it in Jesus' name. He is the one that makes the connection to the heavenly Father. And when the prayer is answered, it is answered for his glory and for what he has done and because of his authority. His authority is what makes the difference. You could come tonight and say, preacher, I need a check for a million dollars. I could write you one and I could sign it, but I promise you the bank won't cash it. Do you know why? I don't have the funds to cover it. Will you help me tonight? I don't have the funds to cover it. But do you realize this? Anything that we ask in his name, he has the funds to cover it. I'm not talking about just just financial needs. He's saying, I don't care what your needs are, whatever it is, I have what it takes to cover that need, to meet that need, to supply that need, but you've got to ask it in my name. Then you've also got to ask it in his will. Now, this this is a troubling area for me because it's a fine line. Sometimes we don't live right, do right, believe right, and act right. And then we want to blame God for prayers not being answered and say, well, I guess it wasn't his will. (laughs) No, you've got to understand how it works. First John tells us pretty plain, chapter five and verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we, that, that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Here's the conflict. There are three wills mentioned in the Bible. There is the will of God. We always know what the will of God is. There's one perfect will of God always. It's not the will of the Father that any should perish, but that all should come under repentance. You're never out of God's will when you're praying for lost people to be saved. It's always God's will. The will of God, you say, well, what about other things in life? How do I know that it's the will of God? Well, here's where the conflict comes in. Because there's not only the will of God, there's also the will of 
Satan. The will of Satan is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his purpose. So God's will is to save and give everlasting life. The devil's will is to stop you from believing God for that and to destroy what faith you have and to kill your belief in God and to do whatever it takes to make sure that you don't get these principles down in your heart because if you really get this in your heart and you really believe it, your prayer life changes. So you've got the battle of the will of God with the will of Satan, but then comes the will of man. The mental choice, trying to distort what God really wants and justifying it with our mind. That's why you've gotta be careful when you say, oh, God told me to do this. Be careful when you say that. Be real careful when you say that. Because what happens is when you go to do it and then you change in a month, it makes it look like God doesn't know what he's doing. And really what you're trying to do, you're fulfilling your selfish desire and putting God's name on it to make it look like what you really want and what your will is, is the will of God. It's easy to always make, make our will look like it's God's will. All you have to do is say, the Lord told me. The Lord wanted. The Lord wanted this. Huh. God doesn't change his mind like that. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't change directions in our life, but haven't you ever said anything that when you look back on it, you have to be brutally honest with yourself and say, you know, really what it was, was I wanted that and I was going to make that work. No matter what, I was going to make that work and then I was going to make it look spiritual because I was going to put God's will on. God will never do contrary to what is willing. You say, well, wait a minute. How do I know the will of God? I, you do want to know, don't you? The will of God is always revealed by the word of God. So if you're trying to say that something is God's will because you want it, but the word of God is contrary to it, then it's the will of man, it's not the will of God. Now if you allow me to give an illustration that goes to an extremity, it's like somebody saying this, they take the life of another person and they say, well, God told me to do it. No. The word of God says thou shalt not kill. Or you say, well, I know that I stole that, but God told me to steal that because he told me to steal it and give 10% of it in the offering. No, thou shalt not steal. I know that's extremities, but when it comes down to life, you can make those same decisions if you're not careful with relationships that you get involved with. You can, you can predetermine what is your will and because you want something so badly, you're going to figure a way to justify that instead of really saying, God, is that what you want? It's, it's like a preacher that says, well, let me pray to see if it's the will of God. And and they have an opportunity to go two places and preach. One is a large thriving church and, and they have an opportunity they've always wanted to preach in that pulpit. The other is a small struggling church and God impresses them to go to that small struggling church. It's easy to say, well, I can reach more people there so that must be the will of God. That's what God wants. No, you have to accept what God has for you even if it is not your personal preference. 
It is the will of God. What is God's will? Jesus taught us when he prayed in Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. What did he want? Did he want to go through the suffering? No. Did he want to go through the pain? No. But he wanted God's will done more than anything else. You have to ask according to his will. You must hold fast your profession. You'll read that in Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. He makes the promise. He is faithful. What promise? The promise that is revealed by the word of God. The word of God reveals the will of God. We pray according to his will. And then as we pray, God said, because I promised that, that's exactly what will happen. For example, you come to the altar and you're struggling with salvation and having assurance of salvation. You can tell me all that you want to that God will not save you, but I can tell you on the authority of God's word, if you pray in faith believing, God has obligated himself to save you. Because he said he would not cast you out or cast you away. You say, preacher, no, no, it doesn't work that way. God, God, he won't give me the assurance. No, God gives us the recipe from his word how to be saved. If we follow the steps of that, God has committed himself to save us. So with all assurance, you can say by the authority of the word of God, I can believe what God said in his word and based on that, I can be saved. But when you make a profession or a confession, you have to hold fast to that. That's why when you tell someone, I've heard from heaven and God's going to do this, you'll be hit right away with everything in the world to make you doubt that God's going to do that, but you have to hold fast. You have to say, I'm determined that I'm going to come down harder on the promise of God's word than I ever have before, and I am determined that I have what God said I could have because he said it in his word, and I'm standing on his word, and if God said I have it, it's already mine, and I believe it as though it is, even though it's not visible right now, because God said it, I can trust him with it. Can I give you one more? You must ask. You must ask in faith. You must not waver. You must ask in Jesus' name. You must ask in his will. You must hold fast your profession. And finally, you must be in full agreement. What's that mean? Well, Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say unto you that if any Two shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. That word agree is the word broken down simply. The closest English word that we have that can relate as an illustration. When you break it down, it means symphony. It's like when all the instruments come together in unison and each one plays their part and makes the beautiful music. He's saying when you find someone 
that has the same spirit about that matter that you have, that believes the same verse about that, that you believe, that will agree with you that God has committed himself to this. When you go to that person and you come together, two of you together, it's the same principle in the Old Testament. When wrong is done, if, if there's Two witnesses, it's then established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. When you come together and you say to someone else, I've got this prayer need, do you believe? Do you believe what I believe, that God can help me with that? And they say yes, and they say let's pray about it. You're going to ask together. You come together in unity, and in unison you pray about that, and in agreement. You don't have to have 200 or 300 or 500, and there's nothing wrong with that. All it takes is two coming together as a symphony, saying I'm going to do my part, you do your part, and God always does his part. So can I ask you just one or two questions tonight before I close? The Bible says, therefore, Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Do you believe it? I mean, do you really believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we believe that it's the will of the Father that none should perish, but that all should come under repentance? Do we believe it? Really? What about your parent that's an alcoholic? Can God save them? Is it his will to save them? What about your loved one that's an addict? Can God deliver them and save them? What about the person that is battling with emotional bondage? Can God deliver them? What about sickness? Can you tell me one sickness that God cannot heal? See how quiet it gets? We are standing at the end of one year, the beginning of another year, and as we do that, the needs are great. How many of you have something that you've really been praying about? Don't tell me what it is. You have something you've really been praying about. I mean, really praying about. Several hands have gone. It's not a, it's not a trick. How many of you really like to see God? Do something supernatural with that need. Would you like to see that happen? When I ask you, if you were to name one person in this sanctuary tonight, just one, that you would have confidence in them that if you shared a need with them, they would agree in prayer together with you about that need. You have confidence that you could pray with them and praying together in unity and agreement, God can answer that prayer. Is there anyone like that that you can think of here in the sanctuary tonight? 
people that you can think of like that? Uh, how many of you, how many of you have or you know of someone that has a particular need in their life, urgent need? Raise your hand. Lost loved ones, need for healing, need for direction, need for guidance. Do you believe Matthew 18, 19? 